0: You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. So if you have your copy of Scripture and you will stand with me, let's stand upon the solid rock of God's Word and pick up there in Acts chapter 11, verse 27. Now in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Let's pray. God, we give thanks to you for calling us and giving us the opportunity to be called Christians, to live our lives in such a way that we honor you, Christ. But God, as we think about what that looks like, what that means, I pray that you will help us to have the same spirit of generosity that we see in you and in the early Christians. We thank you, God, for all that you've done here at Ridgecrest, all that you've done in our lives, but God, we know you have a great plan for us moving forward. And we pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. Well, for just a moment, I want you to go to a happy place. Whatever it is, wherever it is, if you think about the place where you like to go on vacation, wherever it is that you go to, to relax and unwind, I want you to think about how good that makes you feel, that, that wonderful thought of being in that perfect place. So get that locked into your mind. Now let me take it away from you. Now I want you to imagine, and I know you know this feeling, that last night that you're in your favorite place and you realize that the next day you have to come back home to a place called Springfield where when you walk outside this time of year, it hurts your face, all right? So, so I'm, I'm giving you this wonderful vision, this moment where you can say, oh man, that is just awesome, and then you realize you gotta come home. Well, I want you now to think about what Christ did for us. I want you to realize that Jesus was at the right hand of the Father. He was in a place called heaven. He was in glory, He was surrounded by uh, and filled with the glory of God, and he chose to walk away from that and to come down to this earth and to die on a cross for our sins. He willingly walked away from the place of glory and comfort to be with us. Now, I mention that to you because the incarnation of Jesus sets the gold standard for why we are to give and to be generous for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and we also know that Jesus chose to enter into this world and to suffer bleed and die for us he was all about giving so Christians we give because Christ gave all I believe that generosity is built in to who we are as a people of God and I want to make that case to you today Because if we are going to be the kind of church that God wants us to be, we need to be thinking about being generous. Again, let me say, it is no mistake that Christians are first called Christians, and then the very next four verses deal with how the church is being generous and reaching into vulnerability, reaching vulnerable people who are in great danger. The church becomes a a care unit for those individuals in Jerusalem and Judea. So here's the deal. Our desire to give should become a natural part of our lives when Christ comes into our hearts. This should be a natural part of who we are. Generosity is the air we breathe as Christians. And I would even go as far to say it is an extension of basic Christianity. Remember last week we were trying to say, okay, they're first called Christians here in Acts chapter 11... What made them special? We talked about grace. We we talked about love. We talked about all those things last week, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, if we're going to take basic Christianity to another level, to the next level, then we have to say, okay, what did Christians do? What was their behavior? How did they respond to being saved by this amazing grace? What did it do in their lives? Well, you see it right here. But let me give you a word of warning. A lack of generosity is a sign of a sick heart. If generosity is the baseline, if it is the air we breathe as Christians, when we cease being generous, when we start asking a lot of questions when it comes to giving, when we when, when we're not willing to give because of this reason or that, that could be indicative of some spiritual sickness. I want you to get it into your head that being a Christian is about not just receiving this wonderful gospel, but receiving it, yes, and then looking for ways to make the world a better place. I believe that God has called us as a church to revel and glory in the gospel, but not just say, thank you God for what you've done for me. I think that it is imperative that we begin to look at where we should be serving, what we should be doing for the glory of God and his kingdom. In Antioch, they were first called Christians, and this is what Christians do. Now, I'm going to give you two sentences here. This is a little long, a little wordy, but I want you to get this. This is really key to us understanding these four verses today. Church, we can't escape the fact that we live in a real world where real resources are needed to do real ministry. Say that five times fast. Now, I want you to get that because this is a very practical passage today. This is a passage that helps us to see that our Position in this world has a very strong practical element. There are real problems in the world that the church is uniquely gifted to make a real difference. We must seek after the heart of God so we invest in the things Jesus would invest in. And this is where it gets a little bit tricky because we can look out, and I can tell you as a pastor, I can look out in the community and I can literally see thousands of different opportunities all of which could be um, very valid we could make a valid case for doing this or doing that but we can't do everything so we have to ask for god to give us wisdom to see what jesus would invest in who are we as the people of god How are we gifted and how does that translate into Christian ministry here at Ridgecrest? Every church that is following the gospel is a Christian church, but every Christian church has a slightly different calling in the world. Church, what's ours? We want to not just figure out why Christians give, but we want to be intentional We want to see what our giving looks like, what the proper paths of giving are for us at Ridgecrest. I can tell you that Ridgecrest is one of the most generous churches in the state of Missouri, one of the most generous churches in the Southern Baptist Convention, and that's saying something. So this sermon isn't like, hey, you guys aren't generous enough. Really, it's about focusing our generosity. I want you to see that giving to the Lord and giving to the causes of the vulnerable, giving to church planting and all these things, This is wonderful opportunities for us. And we've been doing a lot for the kingdom. But we want to do more than just a handful of good things. We want to be involved in God things. We want to make sure that that our energy is directed in such a way that, yes, we're doing what Christians do. Yes, we're being generous. Yes, we're making a difference. But we're doing it with the power of the Holy Spirit and shaking up the world. The world is watching. Ridgecrest. I think that the, the community anyway, our community here in Springfield knows that there's churches like ours, and I could name a few other great churches in our city that are able to do great things in missions and around the world, but they watch and see where our heart is. They want to see what we're investing in, where our passion is. There are those who are always looking for a reason to say, well, see, Christians don't do it right, or they, they really don't love people. I'm here to tell you, Jesus, you see him caring for souls, but he also cares for the physical needs. He teaches and he ministers. We see Paul, he'll have a chapter where he talks theology and then he tells us how to put it into practice. Friends, our Christian ministry, our Christian message leads to Christian ministry. When we have our theology right, we will do things that make a difference in people's lives. I want you to be a part of a church that is making a difference in people's lives. It's my job, and it is the job of our pastors and our elders, our deacons and our leaders for us to find the very best path forward for us to be able to share the gospel and change uh, the hearts of people, men, women, boys, and girls, to know Jesus and to love him. So let me show you a couple things in this text that are very powerful and very practical. First, let's talk about seeking the need. I think it is fair to say that a that a really good question for any disciple of Jesus is this, how do you discover the will of God? Let that question bounce around in your head for a moment. How do you? We, we as, a, as a church will often say, well, that, we wanna know the will of God. Well, how do you figure that out? The next question is, are you seeking the will of God with all your heart? And I have to tell you, most likely all of us would have to say no. Our our hearts are divided, our minds are divided. And I wanna tell you, you're not gonna find the will of God when you're serving both God and money, when you're serving God and yourself. We have to surrender everything so that we can hear the clear voice of God. And I'm gonna tell you, I know that, that this seeking of the will of God is hard work. It takes a lot of time. And it takes a lot of time in prayer and in the word. Now when we go to the book of Acts, we see the very early days of the church. One thing that they had in common with us is they had the capacity to pray. Go back into the early chapters of Acts, and you will see that before every major movement of the Holy Spirit, God's people fall on their knees and pray. They go to the upper room. They pray. God begins to do miraculous things after his people pray. But another thing that we have that is an advantage over the book people of the book of Acts is that today we have the book. We have the Bible. We have the Word of God. So when we're looking for god's will we can open up the scriptures we have 66 books we have hundreds if not thousands of pages of of text where we can let god speak to us well the early church would have had some of those books of the old testament Uh, they would not have had any of the new testament they would have had maybe some of the traditions and the teachings of jesus there was probably a source book of quotes or something like that that's what scholars think anyway but nonetheless, they would not have had Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They wouldn't have had the letters of Paul, the apostle. They wouldn't have had the letters of Peter or John. We have that advantage. But back in that day, they still had to seek a word from the Lord. They did, had to pray and seek a word for the Lord. Now, why I'm telling you this is because if you notice in the passage, a prophet pops up. The prophet's name is Agabus. And Agabus has a word for the Lord in the context of worship. When you read the passage clearly, what you're looking at is, you're looking at a prophet who comes from Jerusalem. He's already got this gift of prophecy. The Lord is speaking to him. The Lord is showing him things uh, that the church needs to hear. He speaks up in the context of a worship service, and the elders and the pastors gather around, and they discern that this is God speaking. Now, one can ask the question, does such prophecy occur in the church today? Well, I'm not going to say that it doesn't, but I'm also going to tell you that we don't need that kind of, of consistent prophecy like this because we have the Word of God speaking to us. So I want you to realize we have the advantage of God speaking to us through the Word. Now, There are times, and I'm going to show you what I see as this gift of prophecy, how it sort of works its way out, I think, in pastors and preaching ministry. I think there is something here. I believe that prophecy has a role, but I want to give you kind of my take on that. If you disagree with me, we can still be friends. This is a mystery to me. I know I'm called to be a preacher. I know that sometimes my preaching has a prophetic edge, but I don't pretend to understand that. I don't see myself as Jeremiah, Isaiah, or Daniel. I haven't been in a lion's den in a long time, and nobody's tried to cut me in half in a while. So I don't know what it's like to be a prophet of the Old Testament. But I do know that God speaks to us, right? Through the word and through prayer. And here in this early phase, in the nascent phase of the early church, what we see is that they needed a word from the Lord. Agabus gets up in verse 27 and shares this word with the church. In worship, and tells them about a prophecy of famine. It is important to note that elders and pastors are mentioned. This prophecy was something that was not just given and followed, there were people there to listen to it and to discern it. They were able to determine together that God was truly speaking. Now, let me say this. It doesn't matter how you want to view this. It doesn't matter to me how you want to view this, but I'll tell you this. Whether we believe in the gift of prophecy today or however we look at this prophetic moment in the book of Acts, here's one thing I can promise you. God will never speak through a prophet and God will never speak through a true preacher and tell you to do something contrary to the word of God. It will always be in step with the spirit and with the word of God. This is why I think preaching today can be prophetic in the sense that I would, would preach for you to follow the Word of God and you realize that the Word of God is there. The will of God and the Word of God are, uh, you know, they're going down the same road together. Certainly here, that was not as possible because they didn't have the Bible as we know it. But do you see what, what the prophecy is about? Look, Look closely there. It's about vulnerable uh, vulnerable people. It's about vulnerability. It's about those who are about to be impacted by what is called a worldwide famine. Now, those of you who are historians, the Roman records show in the age and the time of Claudius that there was a famine just like this that mostly affected what we would call the Middle East today. But it also affected that entire Mediterranean region that the Romans would have called their empire. So when Luke says that the whole world was impacted by a famine, from his perspective, the Roman world was the whole world. And as far as he knew, the whole world was going to have this famine. All these things are happening. But notice how this first prophecy isn't there to make the church get rich or to serve the people in Antioch. This little booklet is our treasure principles booklet. So for a a long time, uh, last year and the year before, we as a staff began to pray together and seek the face of God to to know what what behavior should look like here at Ridgecrest. So we call them our treasure principles. And these treasure principles are seven behaviors that we say um, are an expression of our gospel Christian faith. Now, I have it turned here to page five. Now, you can get a copy. This hard copy is wonderful, but even better, we have videos online. If you go to our website, you can see little two, three minute talks about each one of these treasure principles. But treasure principle number five is the vulnerable. So as we poured through the scriptures to try to understand what a church should be, one of the seven things that we knew that God's word was telling us clearly is that God cares about people who are in vulnerable states. And so that means we treasure ministry to those who are vulnerable. So it's interesting to me that the early church, the very first ministry calling that they had was in the realm of the vulnerable. You see, it matches the scriptures. It matches what we know God's word says, what we know Jesus would do. He would care for those who were affected by famine. The church in Antioch, had a little bit of money because of where they were and where they were positioned. They were a, a, a seaport, and so there was money in that area. Jerusalem at this time would not have had that kind of wealth. And Agabus is saying there's going to be this famine in Jerusalem. And the people in Antioch took that prophecy and began to use it to collect an offering. Now, they didn't collect food. Now, if we go out here in our year, we're collecting food this month, right, uh, for, for our local ministries. That's great. But in the olden times, there weren't canned vegetables. Food would have perished immediately. So collecting food to send to Jerusalem didn't work. So the only thing that they could do was to collect coin, to collect money. They collected money so that they could take that money and go back to Jerusalem and buy the food and necessities of life. Now, I want to pull back for just a moment. I want you to think about this with me. If we allow for the possibility that God still speaks to his people today through prayer and through the word. Let me give you an illustration of how I think that plays out in the life of a church and, quite frankly, how it played out in the life of this church about two years ago. Before the war in Ukraine began, God began to impress upon my heart and upon several of our key leaders that we needed to get ahead of the game. We saw a war that was coming. And we believe that God was calling us to prepare to get a group of orphans in particular out of harm's way and into Poland. So from Ukraine into Poland. God gave us that vision. We began to put it into place. The idea was when the war started, we would have a team ready to go to be on the field and to immediately begin to work with the refugee crisis, which was no doubt going to come. We believe that. So what did we do? Well, we brought this, the the pastors and elders of the church brought that to the church. And it seemed to us that God was allowing us to see around the corner a little bit to a need that was coming in an area where we had people that we loved. And God helped us to establish a plan to be in the right place at the right time. Now, I'll tell you of all the things that God's allowed me to do in ministry. When we were there in Ukraine, when we went into Poland, I felt like that was one of the few times in my life I was at the point of the tip of the spear doing ministry, we were there before most churches and organizations were able to get there. And I don't think it's because I'm a great leader or we're great leaders as a church. I just think that God allowed me to see around the corner, allowed us to see around the corner a little bit. That, you call that prophecy, call it whatever you want. But through prayer, through knowing that we as a church uh, care for vulnerable people, it just worked. So I want you to see an example of that in our recent history. Now, I believe that what we need to do is this. Should we not ask God to help our leaders peek around the corner some more so that we can position the church to be most effective when the time comes? We need to be in the word and we need to be praying. How do you pray for your leaders? You pray that God will give them vision to see what is coming, to be able to seek the need. If we seek the need, God will begin to help us And that will give us the ability to determine the plan. Let me show you this in the text in verse 29. Verse 29 says simply, So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. So God gives the church vision. The church must then put a plan into action to achieve the vision. It wasn't enough for Agabus to say, hey, I see a problem coming. The church had to take that seriously and then start to implement the process. Now, before I talk about pastors and elders and their role in this, we see that in verse 30, let me draw your attention to the fact that it mentions every disciple in verse 29. This is key. So the disciples determine, and then the qualifier, every one of them, This is something that not just a handful of people in the church are getting involved in. From the beginning, the church is led by certain leaders. But for us to be effective, everybody has to do their part. Every single one of us must be part of God's plan. So if you're here and you're a member of Ridgecrest Baptist Church and God speaks and God moves, you need to be asking, what's my role in this? If it's giving a nickel in the offering plate or $500,000 in the offering plate, whatever God's called you to do, you need to think about it. For many of us, that's not, it's not about the money. It's about the effort, the energy, the resources of our heart and minds and souls. Sometimes God is calling you to be the one that's there at the tip of the spear, going on the mission trip and sharing the gospel, bringing comfort to the person in need. But listen, the disciples determined everyone according to his ability. To send relief to the brothers living in Judea. None of you get a pass. None of you can sit in the pew. And this is the beginning and end of your Christian experience. If God has a God thing for us to do. You must be a part of it. Every true disciple of Jesus. Will get involved in the ministry of Jesus. No exceptions. Any exceptions you try to make aren't exceptions. They are excuses. Don't confuse that. Excuses. We cannot be guilty of making excuses when there is famine, when there is heartache, when there is pain, and when there is an opportunity for us to do something about it. You can share Jesus all you want, but if you're not caring for people, it shows. We care for people and we share the gospel. Those two things go together, they're not separate each one according to his ability. Remember the widow's mite in Luke 21? Man, it's not about the money. It's not about how much. It's about your heart. When God is moving in our midst, when you know it's the work and the will of God, you need to be asking yourself, what's my part in this? It is a beautiful picture here of love and Christian uh, fidelity and faithfulness. If you'll look here, It mentions in verse 29, the last part, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And that word can mean brothers and sisters in the Greek. But the idea here is this. The Antiochian Christians are mostly Gentile at this point, most likely. And they call the Jewish friends and believers in Jerusalem their brothers and sisters. There is already here evidence of how God is breaking down every wall so that the church can be the body of Christ, full of love and providing need. God gave the people vision through Agabus the prophet, but notice how he works out the logistics through the body of Christ. Every single one of you, if God is doing a big thing here, every single one of you need to get on board with that. I'm not asking you to get on board with my dream. It will be ours. It'll be something maybe God does give me. I believe God has given me a vision for our church to be more intentional about kingdom work, planting churches here locally, being more intentional about doing that everywhere around the globe. Absolutely, yes. But that is a dream and a vision that works its way out through our elders, through our pastors and staff, through our deacons, through our leadership around the church. God begins to work in this this. Wonderful tidal wave flows through us all, and we say, Yes, this is what God wants us to do as a church. And then we look for a way to give cheerfully of our time, our talents, our treasures. That's what Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 9 7. Logistics sounds boring, but I've got to tell you, if we are going to make a difference in our world today, we need to hear a word from the Lord, and then we have to use our minds and our hearts together as a congregation. To make a difference. That's what we see in the early church, and that's what we see is needed today. The final thing I want to show you is in verse 30. We have to be good stewards of the gift. We can hear from the prophet, we can have a plan, but then we have to act. Verse 30, and they did so. God's people heard the prophet, they were given the plan by the church and then they acted on it. They invested their time and energy so that those hurting souls, those starving souls in Jerusalem could be fed. I love how the elders are involved in this whole passage. Look, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. It's so interesting that elders plural is mentioned here. By the way, almost always when we see the word elder in the New Testament, it's always in the plural. That means that God doesn't trust something this big with just one bloke, one guy. If I thought that I had to be responsible for everything that happens around here and it's all on me, I would quit because it's too much. You guys are too much trouble, honestly. But we have all these elders, and we bear the burden together. We hold each other accountable. I don't know if you know it, but you are blessed to be a part of a church with elders. You have a group of men who love you and pray for you and love me as a pastor and pray for me. Let me tell you, this is just, I'm just throwing this out. Um, Yesterday, just yesterday, this is just one day, two two men, two men of, of elder caliber, out of the blue, just sent me messages telling me that they love me and were praying for me. That's who we are at Ridgecrest. We are a people who love one another and are concerned about each other. And that's how we can keep from making mistakes because when we are after God things, the devil doesn't want us to do it. He will try his worst to knock us out. Not just knock us down, but knock us out. And we can only stand firm together. And so I want you to know, yes, God, I do believe that God is is working through me. One of my jobs is to preach the word to you, but also to ask God to show me what's coming next. As he shows me that, though, I am not so brazen as to believe that every idea that comes in between my ears is the right one. I'm telling you, I've learned the hard way. That is not true. I don't care what your grades are in seminary, how successful you've been in the past. You have to let people hear your heart. You have to work with the congregation. You have to steward the gift. So here's the lesson. When God's people give generously, it is important that church leaders are held accountable. We're in this together, brothers and sisters, and I want you to know as God leads us forward, I do not believe that I'm here as the captain of the ship, master and commander. Uh, My word is the last and final word. Uh, That kind of uh, dictatorship doesn't work. Uh, never really has. God knew that. So God gave us elders. He gave us elders and pastors and a multiplicity of leaders to help us find the one way God would have us go. You see, it takes a bunch of leaders to find the one way that God has for us. And I believe that one way um, is not just one thing. So if you'll notice, a lot of what we talk about here at Ridgecrest, it does sort of focus on like. Seeing people get saved. Have you noticed that? We talk about that. We'd like to see people get saved. Have you heard us talk about this before? So we talk about this. Because it is a high, if not the highest priority. Worship is the highest priority. But when we're worshiping, we're sharing, we're witnessing. Okay. Another thing you hear us talk about a lot is the vulnerable. Have you noticed this? Because when we look at how Jesus did it, when we look at how Paul and the apostles did it, they were caring for people. They were truly reaching into dark places and lifting people up. This is what Christians do. And so I'll have you know, as we move forward in this next chapter here at Ridgecrest, we are passionately going to see the gospel go forth. And to do that, we believe we raise up leaders and plant churches everywhere we can. Also, we look for every opportunity to care for vulnerable people. Where we see hurting people, Ridgecrest wants to be there and we want to be there willing to serve. In fact, let me show you something in the text here. Um, I I didn't mention it a moment ago, but it's important. The phrase to send relief is actually uh, the Greek word for deacon. It's the same root word for deacon. So here's what we have to do, church. A deacon, when we take that word back to its root, and I'm going to use this language, I want you to understand, this language is very, very raw in our time today. It meant something different 2,000 years ago. But it's slave language. Today we look at that, and that's an abomination in every sense. But in the first century Greek world, the word slave meant more like a servant. And in fact, if you want to get a picture of Jesus washing feet in John 13, that dirty work of washing feet, that's a deacon. That is the perfect picture, uh, picture of that idea of, of a servant. Listen, I hope you understand that to do what Jesus did, you have to swallow your pride and serve people and do what other people will not do. You have to go to places where other people will not go. You have to lower yourself in ways that prideful Westerners don't like to do. You have to change your complete composure because we want to be like Jesus. The one who came from heaven washed dirty feet. So what's our excuse for not being a deacon, a servant in the world today? You see, I love talking to this group of people because most of you are younger than me. You've got more years. I want to tell you, I'll help you. I promise you this. You listen to me, not because I'm the smartest guy ever, but I love the word and I'm going to preach the word to you. The word will help you. I will teach you the word. But that is just the beginning, brothers and sisters. Because as I teach you the word, it will change your heart. If you're called a Christian, yeah, it's because of what you believe, but Christians don't only believe that Jesus is the Savior, but they try to act like Jesus, and when we act like Jesus, we serve people, and we love them well. You want to change the world. Most young people do. They're not worried about making money, they say, because they don't understand how much money it takes, but anyway, that's the idealistic, but we'll talk about that another day. But I love the fact that when I talk to my daughter's age people, when, when people in their 20s, in their teens, man, they want to change the world. Well, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. You can do a lot of good things in this world and make a difference. There's no doubt. God can make you a very wealthy person. You can use your money uh, starting uh, uh, nonprofits and helping people. That's fine. But if you really want to change the world, let Jesus get a hold of your heart. Because when Jesus gets a hold of your heart, you're going to change the world for eternal reasons. And God will use you to turn this world upside down. Many of you in this room, you don't need a job, you need a calling. Many of you in this room, God's been speaking to your heart and telling you that you have a place to be in this world and you have a position to serve. You are called to lead churches, you are called to go on mission, and you have to stop saying no to God. It's time to start saying yes. Because that's what we do as Christians. We give. We give, we take all those things that the world says, oh, you ought to be this. Oh, you're really good at this. Oh, you could really change the world this way. And they're telling you something, yes. But what they're not telling you is that unless the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you, you will have very little impact on eternity. But if the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you, those gifts you have will be used for the kingdom of God. To be a Christian is to give. What are you going to give? Thanks for listening. For additional resources to learn more about us or get connected, visit richcrestbaptist.org.